Good morning, Northeast. It's great to greet you online this morning. Well, it's not great that we can't be together, but it is a good way that we can still connect during this time of lockdown and um, heavy restrictions across New South Wales. Uh, in my own private devotional life, I listen to a man called uh, Pastor Gary Hamrick, who has a church in America called Cornerstone Chapel. And uh, he has incredible teaching. And this morning, I'm going to share with you from one of his teachings. Uh, it certainly challenged my heart, and I believe it will challenge yours. So let us pray. Thank you, Lord, for your grace and your love in our lives. Thank you, Lord, for who you are. And if you never do another thing in our lives, then you have already done more than enough. Lord, we worship you and we give you thanks. I pray now that you will bless this time in your word this morning. Move in our hearts. Open our eyes to the truth in your word, Lord. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this year's vision for Northeast is wholehearted. We want to have whole hearts. And I believe that this is something that God is calling us to. He wants, he doesn't want us to have broken hearts or divided hearts or stubborn or hard hearts. He wants us to have whole hearts. And it's he who will do the work to make our hearts whole. But you know, this is not a new message. This is not just something that is for this year. This is something that God has been calling out from people for a long time. And this morning, we're going to look at Jeremiah. In fact, Jeremiah chapter 16 and 17. And in this, we will see that uh, God was calling the people. He's constantly talking to them about their hearts. In the book of Jeremiah, so many times, it, it refers to the heart of the people. And so we're going to look at that this morning. And I believe that the message that was for them is for us this morning as well. So Jeremiah was a prophet called by God to speak to the people in the southern um, part of Israel, which is known as the kingdom of Judah. Jeremiah was called somewhere in his late teens to 20. And by the time um, that it gets to chapter 16 and 17, he's probably around about 30. And at this time, the people are just about to be taken into exile to Babylon. That's sort of like modern day Iraq. And uh, and. Before they go, though, God is speaking to Jeremiah to try and warn the people. Why is God allowing this? He actually tells them why. So let's look at Jeremiah chapter 16, verses 10 to 13. When you tell the people all these things, they will ask, Why has the Lord decreed such terrible things against us? What have we done to deserve such treatment? What is our sin against the Lord our God? Then you will give them the Lord's reply. It is because your ancestors were unfaithful to me. They worshipped other gods and served them. They abandoned me and did not obey my word. And you are even worse than your ancestors. You stubbornly follow your own evil desires and refuse to listen to me. So I will throw you out of this land and send you into a foreign land where you and your ancestors have never been. There you can worship idols day and night and I will grant you no favours. God is really saying to these people, you know, if you really love these idols so much that you want to worship them, then I'll allow you to be taken to a country where they worship these idols all the time. You can go there and you can worship these idols freely 24-7. Do it all you like. But God, because of his grace and mercy, in the midst of this fierce warning, he inserts a promise of hope. Let's continue with verses 14 and 15. But the time is coming, says the Lord, 
when people who are taking an oath will no longer say, as surely as the Lord lives who rescued the people of Israel from the land of Egypt. Instead they will say, as surely as the Lord lives who brought the people of Israel back to their own land from the land of the north and from all the countries to which he had exiled them. For I will bring them back to this land that I have given to their ancestors. See, God is saying, previously I was known as the God who rescued you from Egypt. He's talking to the people of Israel. I rescued you and freed you from slavery and brought you out of Egypt. But now you're not going to talk about me that way anymore. You're going to describe me as the God who delivered you out of exile from Babylon, brought you back from Babylon to the home of your forefathers. You see, even here we see that while God is disciplining them, he is also announcing his plan of restoration. So perhaps you may feel like God is disciplining you. At times he does that. He does it for our good. He does it so that we can grow, so that our hearts can be whole. Admittedly, it's not pleasant at the time. Listen to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 11. No discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. It's painful. But afterward... There will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. You can be sure that if you're going through a period like that, that God has your restoration plan already in place. He will work it out for your good if you respond to him. God is a God of restoration. He loves to restore people. He loves to bind up broken hearts. God loves to return to us that which has been lost or stolen. You see, for the children of Israel, the heart of their problem was the problem of their heart. The Hebrew word for heart is levav or lev. And it can mean any of the following. It can mean your inner being. It can mean your will, your conscience, your moral character. It, it's your seat of emotion. In other words, the way we feel things. So I'm going to stop for a moment. We're going to watch a short um, excerpt from The Bible Project, which talks about the heart, referring to levav or lev, and helps us to understand what this means a little more. For thousands of years, every morning and evening, Jewish people have prayed these well-known words as a way of expressing their devotion to God. They're called the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. And as for you, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. We're going to look at the fourth key word in this prayer, heart, which in Hebrew is sometimes pronounced levav, or more often in a shorter form, lev. Now, different cultures throughout history have had different conceptions of how the human body works, and this is also true of the ancient Israelite writers of the Bible. They knew that the heart was an organ in the chest that sustains life. There's mention of a heart attack in the Bible, Naval, whose heart died inside of him and he became like stone. But the biblical authors talk about the heart in many other ways that might seem strange to modern readers, and that's because these Israelites had no concept of the brain or any word for it. They imagined that all of a human's intellectual activity takes place in the heart. For example, you know with your heart in the Bible. Your heart is where you understand and make connections. In the book of Proverbs, wisdom dwells in the heart. And your heart is what you use to discern between truth and error, like Solomon did when he was king. So the heart is where you think and make sense of the world, and it's where you do more. In the Bible, the heart is where you feel emotions. You feel pain in your heart, like Hannah did when she couldn't have any children. 
children. In fact, the phrase a broken heart comes from ancient biblical Hebrew. You also experience fear in your heart. Your heart can melt or be distressed. Your heart can even be depressed. But then on the flip side, your heart is where you experience joy. In Hebrew, to be happy is to be good of heart or to have a heart of joy. So the heart is the generator of physical life. It's also the center of your intellectual and emotional life. And there's more. In biblical Hebrew, the heart is where you make choices motivated by your desires. So David had it in his heart to build a temple for God. Your heart is where your affections are centered. They're called the desires of your heart. And if you really want something and go after it, it's like what Nathan said to David, whatever's in your heart, go and do it. So then in the Bible, the heart is the center of all parts of human existence, as in the well-known proverb, guard your heart because from it flows your whole life. Now the prophet Jeremiah believed that the human heart was fundamentally broken. He said, the heart of a human is deceitful above all, irreversibly sick. Who can even understand it? He had watched a whole generation turn away from God. They started sacrificing their children as if that were a good thing. So this is why in the imagination of the Hebrew prophets, the only hope for humanity is the total renewal of the human heart. Moses predicted that if Israel was ever going to love their God, their heart would need to be circumcised, which is a very vivid and surprising metaphor about removing evil and stubbornness from the human heart. David, after he committed murder and adultery, pleads with God to create in me a pure heart. The prophet Ezekiel hoped for a day when God would remove the heart of stone and give his people a new heart of soft flesh, which is very similar to Jeremiah's hope that God would write the commands of the Torah on the hearts of his people. And that brings us all the way back to the Shema. Every day, God's people are called to devote to God their whole body and mind, their feelings and their desires, their future and their failures. This is what it means to love the Lord your God with all of your heart. So God challenges the people of Judah regarding their stubborn hearts. It's not the first time he's done this. In fact, if you look throughout the book of Jeremiah, he keeps talking to the people about their stubborn, evil hearts. I want us to look at some of these verses throughout Jeremiah this morning. Jeremiah chapter 9, verses 13 to 14. The Lord said, They have not obeyed me or followed my law. Instead, they have followed the stubbornness of their hearts. They have followed the Baals as their fathers taught them. Jeremiah chapter 11, verses 7 to 8. From the time I brought your forefathers up from Egypt until today, I warned them again and again, saying, Obey me. But they did not listen or pay attention. Instead, they followed the stubbornness of their evil hearts. Now, Jeremiah chapter 13, verse 10. These wicked people who refuse to listen to my words follow the stubbornness of their hearts and go after other gods to serve and worship them. And Jeremiah chapter 16, But you have behaved more wickedly than your fathers. See how each of you is following the stubbornness of his evil heart instead of obeying me. In Jeremiah chapter 17 verse 9 it says, The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. In the New King James Version, it says the heart is desperately wicked. Um, in the English Standard Version, it says the heart is desperately sick. Who can understand it? The human heart, apart from God, is deceptive. It is wicked. It is sick. And it's beyond cure, meaning that we cannot fix our heart. Only God can fix our hearts. God can fix every broken, sick and wicked heart. In Jeremiah chapter 17, 
Jeremiah prays this prayer. He says, Heal me, O Lord, and I will be healed. Save me, and I will be saved, for you are the one I praise. In other words, Jeremiah realises that the problem with the human heart is something that he can't fix, we can't fix. There's no remedy um, ourselves to fix what is broken in our hearts, but God can. That's why Jeremiah says that the only way to be healed is for God to heal us. The only way to be fixed is by God himself. He is the one who can mend a broken heart. We cannot do it, but he does it, and he does it from the inside out. The problem is that apart from Christianity, attempts to address the problem of the heart are made by trying to modify behaviour. And actually, it never really works because it never addresses the core issue, which is the heart. Jesus even expressed this when he talked about our words being a reflection of what's in our heart. In Matthew chapter 12, he says, For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. In other words, what's in our heart comes out. The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him and the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. So in other words, what we see happening in terms of outward behaviour is just basically the manifestation of what's going on inside our hearts. We can fake things for a while. We can try and put on a mask and cover up. But at the end of the day, the true core of who we are in our human heart is what will dictate our behaviour. Now, other world religions and social science, for that matter, will try to curb human behaviour with external motivation. But Christianity is the only world religion or system that makes the claim of internal transformation. Christianity asserts that internal transformation is how we change behaviour. And internal transformation is something that can only happen, and I mean miraculously happen, through a relationship with Jesus. See, when you look at other world religions, they do recognise the problem with human behaviour. They do recognise the problem of the human heart. But they offer no real solutions other than trying to say that if you devote yourself to a structured system of good works, that will reduce bad behaviour. Or if you punish your body enough, that will reduce bad behaviour. But these will only address conduct, not the core. It's, it's sort of like treating the symptoms rather than the disease itself. And social science is no different. Using behaviour modification as a way to lessen bad behaviour. They use a system of rewards and punishment. But it only has limited success. Again, it only addresses the conduct, not the core of the problem. Think about it like this with animal training. A ferocious lion or a huge elephant can be trained. Trainers come in and they use a system of rewards and punishment to get the animals to do what they want. And the animals will to a certain degree. But the animal always has to go back in the cage because you can't change the basic nature of the animal. You can only temporarily modify their behaviour through a system of training. And we know this is true because we've heard sad stories about trainers who have been hurt or even killed because the animal has turned on them. Why is that? Because you can modify the behaviour of this animal to a degree 
but you can never change the nature of the beast. That kind of beast always has to go back into the cage. But with humanity, Christianity comes along and makes this bold assertion that through the power of God, through a relationship with him, he can transform the inside of a person and he can make you new from within and he can radically alter your heart. He can transform your very nature through a relationship with Jesus Christ. This is what the Bible teaches. This church is our hope. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, Paul writes, Therefore, if anyone, anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. Here's a new creation. The old is gone, the new is here. Therefore, when you get this internal transformation, and it does affect your external behavior. Your behavior changes, your speech changes, your values change, your perspective changes, your priorities change. Because of the internal thing that's going on in your heart, it affects all aspects of your life. A great example of this is something that happened in the Welsh Revival in 1904 to 1905. 150,000 people were saved at that time. And because of, of their salvation, all social indicators improved. Crime decreased incredibly. The jails were empty. But one thing that was interesting is that coal production went down. Why is that when all the other social indicators were improving? Well, it was because many of the ponies that hauled the coal out of the mines no longer responded to the, to the commands of their Welsh coal miners. Because these men had been inwardly transformed, radically transformed, it significantly affected their outward behaviour, so much so that they stopped swearing at and kicking the animals and these ponies were so used to being harshly treated that they failed to respond to their transformed owner's kindness. Now, we can't make the mistake of forgetting that while we have a new heart, uh, we're still in an old body of flesh. And that new heart wants you to do different things to what your old body of flesh wants you to do. Before coming to faith in Christ, a person has an old heart and old ways. And these two are okay. They go together. You do whatever you want to do. There's no one sort of challenging you on that. But when a person comes to Christ, they have a new heart but you are still in an old body of flesh, unfortunately. The old ways are still there, but because you have a new heart, you are convicted about the old ways, and, and that sort of creates a tension. You want to please God. Your heart is to please God now because he's transformed you. But there is still that temptation to do what you want rather than what God wants, and that's where the conflict lies. And Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 7. He talks about it's sort of like a war going on inside of us. I don't really under, understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. I have discovered this principle of life, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. Now, while the Christian life becomes one of wonderful new joy and perspective and values and ways of thinking and living and behaving, there will often be this conflict within where the old flesh that we are housed within 
with all of its desires, wants to dominate the new heart. That's why we need to pray daily, as David prayed in Psalm 51 verse 10. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. In a few weeks' time, I'm going to unpack that verse more when it comes to my turn in the series about David. But that is a prayer we need to pray every day from today. Lord, create in me a clean heart and put a a right spirit within me. Or as David prayed in Psalm 86, verse 11, Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. Lord, I don't want to live a duplicitous life. Please give me an undivided heart. You know, we look at the outward appearance. We evaluate a lot by outward appearance, but God, no, God looks at our hearts. So let us respond to God's word this morning in Proverbs 4.23. Above all else, church, above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. It is what determines the course of your life. This year, Northeast, God's calling us to have whole hearts. We cannot achieve this by ourselves. Whole hearts are hearts that are transformed by the power of Christ, a heart transformed from the inside out. Let us pray. We thank you, Lord, for this reminder this morning from your word about the importance of our heart and our heart being right with you. I pray that each of us would regularly seek you and make sure that our heart is right with you. Thank you for what you do, for your transforming transforming work from the inside out. But there are still times when we may stumble and give in to the old flesh, so we pray that you would empower us, help us, because as far as that depends on us, it's sort of impossible. But with you, God, all things are possible. Help us to guard our hearts, because we know it is the wellspring of life. We thank you, Lord, for the transforming work that you do in our hearts, how you can change us, how you can radically change our hearts from the inside out. We thank you, Lord, and we give you all praise and honour. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. I pray that that word stays in your heart and as you go into this week that you will really allow God to continue to make you whole in every way.